This episode of the Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico podcast is brought to you by Spectacle Eyewear. Now, if you've been watching any episodes of this podcast on our YouTube channel, you might have noticed I've been wearing some pretty cool specs lately. Well, you know where I get them? Spectacle Eyewear, 505 Tremont Street, Boston, Massachusetts. Their phone number is 617-542-9600. Head down to Spectacle. Go visit our friend Paul. You'll get yourself some cool specs. Set this world on fire 
Welcome to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. Today, we got another rock and roll lifer for you. Joining us on the show today is Pete Cassani of the Peasants. In fact, the tune we started you off with today was, in fact, one of the latest songs from the Peasants' huge catalog. That one was called Let the World Rot. Pete and I had a great conversation, a long one at that, which we'll be playing for you shortly. So stick around, check this out, and we'll be right back. Being the big vinyl lover that I am, I'm proud to tell you about Joe's albums in their two locations. The original shop at 317 Main Street in downtown Worcester, Massachusetts, and their second location out in Western Mass at 5 Market Street, Northampton. Both of these shops are loaded with both new and used vinyl. It's hard to walk in either shop and walk out empty-handed due to their amazing collection of records and other cool goodies like t-shirts, mugs, posters, etc. If you can't find what you're looking for in the retail stores, check out their website, joesalbums.com. Thank you, Joe, for being so cool. And welcome back. I was planning originally to release uh, our year in music recap this week, but I loved my conversation with Pete Cassani so much. I decided to do a little flip-flopping and that episode will probably come out in a, in a week or so. And basically what it's going to be is it's going to be a year in music review of all the tunes that we really like, uh, kind of like a top 20 songs of the year show. I think that's what it's going to be actually top 20 songs of the year. So stay tuned for that. Okay. You don't have to become a household name or even worldly famous to be a rock star in my book. It's all about attitude, perseverance, lifestyle. It's about practice and loving what you do. My favorite artists, bands, performers have always been the ones that put on the same show, whether there's 10 people in the room or there's 10,000 in the audience as a matter of fact some of the best shows i've ever seen have been with a handful of people in the room and i'm talking like a small handful of people of course it can be amazing if the house is full but the real passion is happening on the stage it's the energy the band or the singer songwriter or the performers putting out that gets me now i'm sure there are plenty of people that want to see the big crowds full house and they wouldn't be able to stomach seeing a band with 10 other people people whatever whatever you enjoy but some of the best musicians performers songwriters i've personally known have not become household names okay and they never played in front of huge audiences that doesn't mean they're not great okay music is an art form that can be appreciated at any level basically i love 
the musicians, the artists. I love the ones that love what they do, the real ones. All right, check this out and we'll be right back. Attention guitar players, I know you're out there. I have some exciting news for you. You ready? Put down that six string and listen. Stomp underfoot our handmade guitar pedals by fuzz-obsessed Matt Pascarella. Matt makes every pedal using quality, new, old stock, absolute, and rare-through whole components. I know you know what that means if you're a, you're a guitar player, right? Every pedal is also entirely hand-wired, tested, and ready to go. If you want high-quality handmade pedals, check out Stomp Underfoot at stomponderfoot.com. Okay, so you probably realized that it was someone like Pete Cassani who I was referring to in the last segment. In a way, it is. I've known Pete for over 20 years. He's always been dedicated to his craft and can play better than most people that I know, okay? And it makes me happy that he's still recording and playing shows regularly. I really enjoyed our conversation. It was a long talk. The time just flew by when we were talking. I'm telling you, it was really a great conversation. I learned a few things about Pete that I didn't know. And uh, sometimes you think you know someone, but you don't really know everything about him. And that's what the way it was with Pete and uh, like where he came from and all that. And uh, so here it is. Okay, I'm going to play it for you right now. Here I am with Pete Cassani. Please enjoy. Welcome, YouTube users. This is Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. If you want to hear the entire show with intros, outros, and music, please go to Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, etc., wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, please subscribe to this channel if you haven't done so already. Um, please welcome to the show a guy I would call a lifetime musician who I've known for 20 years, I believe, Pete Probably. Cassani. Woo! Hi, Pete. <laughs> How are you, man? Good, man. I'm good. It good. was Thanks for asking me to do this. Oh, my pleasure. It was a surprise running into you a few, maybe, I don't know, maybe, was that a month ago? I don't know how long ago, but when you were playing with the false positives. It was like right after Thanksgiving, so it was like uh, two weeks ago, maybe? Yeah, pleasant surprise, and you guys rocked it out pretty good up there. Thank you. Thanks. Good to so, be in uh, Dave's, you know, thing. Yeah, you do a lot. We're going to talk about everything you do. So, So you grew up in Long Island, right? Levittown, New York. Levittown. First suburb. Yes. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, thousands of houses that are the same. Um, twisty uh, suburb. It was like the suburbs, like extreme suburbs. Um, everybody was from New York City. Everybody was from like Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx. Everybody moved out of the city after World War II and bought these cookie cutter houses, little cookie cutter houses. And it was, um, for me, it was the 70s, 60s and 70s. So it was, um, uh, I thought it was dull. 
was really dull. And um, it seemed like all we did was drink and drugs. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like most. A lot of drugs. It's probably the same as everybody else uh, <laughs> in in that time frame in the 70s and uh, and play music. You know, we were all trying to play music. My, my friends anyway. Yeah, so, we're, 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 we're around the same age. So I get that because I grew up in the suburbs of Boston. So, you know, I know what that's like every weekend, yeah, yeah. you know, get drugs, smoke weed, listen to whatever news come. It was a really good time, too, in the 70s, because yeah. every day it seemed like you discover a new great band, you know, there was a new it was a great record coming out every week or two, you know. So I think we got used to that. We got used to like I remember when uh, Dark Side of the Moon came out and everybody went and got Dark Side of the Moon or when um, uh, that Who song, uh, the, the Who Are You record, whatever that record is, that came out and my friend got it and he had it on his boom box and he was, well, well, you know, hanging out at the park, smoking pot and listening to Who Are You, you know, or Led Zeppelin in through the outdoor when that came out, we were uh, out in the woods camping what we called camping was basically just an excuse to get trashed in the woods. And we were listening to in through the outdoor the whole weekend. Did, yeah. did you, did you like put a good stereo system in your car? Cause that seemed to be a prerequisite back then. I didn't even have a car, but all my friends had had their parents' cars. This is like high school. And yeah, we had, everybody had crank and stereos with, massive speakers way way bigger speakers than necessary <laughs> i'm showing my age now but i remember i had an eight track player and yeah. then then when we all got cassette players that was the big thing oh man a cassette yeah. deck wow. and you know you could in you know, this i had the speakers too man i, I you had to back then so were you when did you like get hip to music and what were you listening to back then everything or was there something specific that caught you like i always tell people that when i first heard black sabbath and queen those were the two bands that really opened my eyes to what was going on you know were there any for you yeah it was um it was the beatles it was the beatles yeah and i was uh i was like 11 or 12 i was in the boy scouts and uh this me and this other kid and this we just really liked the Beatles and we used to uh you know go to the, the Boy Scout meeting and then we'd be walking home in our Boy Scout suits, you know, singing Beatles songs at the top of our lungs. And we just yeah, the Beatles were the the thing. I, I eventually got kicked out of the Boy Scouts. But um uh yeah, yeah, the Beatles was the first one, I would say. And I remember way back my parents had a uh, the the banana splits. They had the banana splits record, and I remember that the monkeys. I remember that. Uh, yeah, Partridge the, Family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Partridge Family. All that stuff. And the Beatles were the first one. Yeah, yeah. You know, the Beatles really were the first one for me too. But I think when I heard those other bands, I kind of got more. I was more older when I heard Black Sabbath, Paranoid, and and then yeah, Queen. Yeah, blew your mind. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard Queen, I think the first song I heard was Keep Yourself Alive. I was like, yeah. what is this? <laughs> Queen Queen was, um, so when I grew up in high school and on Long Island, the big bands were the Grateful Dead, 
Marshall Tucker, um, the Outlaws, uh, Leonard Skinner, the Allman Brothers, all those bands, those jammy pot smoking bands. And I liked Queen, which I never told anybody about because it was like a guilty pleasure. Yeah, it was. And and they were incredible. It was like the secret, like Queen was incredible. Um, Led Zeppelin, of course. Led Zeppelin was probably the band that blew my mind. Also, Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix was like otherworldly. Nobody played like him. He he was just, just like the way he played guitar was oh, just yeah. otherworldly. You know, like how do you play all those notes on one guitar and have them all sound so like they all make sense every everything it's just wow so I'd we were Japan. spoiled we were we were spoiled because all those great bands all came out within like a 20 year period you know it was incredible the yeah. 60s and the 70s were just phenomenal when did you start yeah. playing pete uh when i was again these kids i met in the boy scouts they were um you know, I say the Boy Scouts, but we were really bad kids. <laughs> we did a lot of bad things and we all eventually got kicked out. But um, two of the kids in the Boy Scouts, they played guitar. They they were taking guitar lessons and they were learning Beatles songs. And I played piano. Oh, really? I was bored with it. I didn't I didn't practice. I didn't like any of the songs. Guy was trying to teach me classical music and I just wasn't into it. And then when I met these kids, they were playing Beatles songs and I was um, blown away. So I would go over to their house and just watch them play the guitar. And then I would try to, they would show me a few things. Like back in the USSR was one of the first songs they learned and they showed me it. And and so I'd go over there and they would, they would take guitar lessons and they would, so I was probably like 14, 13, 14. And I was trying to play piano and we had we were going to like have a band and I'd be the piano player. And I just wasn't into the piano. So I just started playing the guitar and, um, and I started figuring out songs on my own. Did you, uh, did you, did you have an acoustic guitar or did you go right straight to electric? I had a, a, a acoustic guitar with a broken back and nylon strings. It was a complete mess. <laughs> and then I got a, eventually I got a, um, a really, cheap copy of a Gibson Les Paul, like a cheap knockoff of a Gibson Les Paul, which was a Univox Les Paul. And I played that. And they were both terrible guitars, but um, I didn't know any better. And I played the hell out of them. And I just started to figure out songs on my own. And um, these kids couldn't do that. They, they had to take the lesson and learn from the teacher. And I started just learning them on my own because I didn't have lessons. And... And that's how I started to to learn how to play guitar. Just just listen to records, put the needle back, play it again, put the needle back, play it again, try to sound out the notes, and then learn the songs that way. And that's you had that's the ear. Had I had the ear. the ear, and that's what yeah. saved me. Yeah, I had no lessons, but I so I learned on my I learned with a lot of bad habits, and uh, took I took the long way around. But uh, I eventually learned how to play. What, was there a band in Long Island? The first band? Did you form a band at a young age, or were there several? Or uh, I, not really. I just I just jam with a bunch of guys, and uh, 
we were we were terrible. Uh, oh, there was one band. All right, in tenth grade, um, I ended up playing with these these two guys. They were like old, a lot older than me. They were in twelfth grade, and they were both they were really into Kiss, and I was not into Kiss. Kiss was like my little brother's band. You know, it was like a toy band, and but they were really into Kiss and the guitar player was just a guitar player and a drummer. And um, we eventually called the name the band Bullseye because that was a, a kind of acid. And so Bullseye Acid. So anyway, two of these two guys were complete drug addicts, alcoholics at, at in 12th by 12th grade. And we basically used to meet in one of their at their house in the garage. And uh, I was the rhythm guitar player and we would play Kiss songs. And I, we would just play the entire Kiss Alive one album. Oh. And I play rhythm guitar, no bass player, no vocals. We just played the songs, guitar. It, all, it was all about the guitar. It was all about Ace Fraley and lead guitar. And that's it. Yeah, I, I think a lot that's of high school. My first band. Yeah, I think a lot of high schools will like that. My high school, everyone was into Kiss. They were, that's why what you said before really hit home with me about Queen. I liked Queen, but I didn't really want to talk about it that much. No. But I did go see Queen when they yeah. came through town, and the guys that came with me were like, "Oh my God, these guys are really good." I mean, they were better yeah. than Kiss live by a mile. Oh. Kiss had had the the show, you know, but Queen. Right. Queen played, <laughs> you know, they could Queen, play. Queen could play, yeah. yeah did Queen you play. um did you stay in Long Island long after that? Did you go to school, college? Did you finish I went to high college? School? Yeah, I went to community college out of high school because I didn't want to be a gas station attendant. And um I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I went to community college and um I eventually and I through that I I I got I transferred to an upstate school off Long Island and I went upstate where everybody on Long Island goes to college upstate. It seems like we all go to upstate New York. SUNY something? Yeah, SUNY, SUNY, State University of New York. And uh, like all my brothers and sisters, I come from a family of six. They all went to wow. Geneseo, Oneonta, New Paltz, Brockport. I went to Binghamton. Everybody went to those schools. And uh, it was, they were cheap back then. So anybody could go and you just had to not fail out. And that's what I did. I went to school there. Trying to think Binghamton, is that near Albany? It's no, it's um it's closer to Pennsylvania. It's on the southern border between of New York and Pennsylvania. It's not on the border, but it's it's a little bit up. So it's down there with Elmira, okay, Cortland and oh, you know, Elmira and uh whatever new york's so, yeah. a big state people don't realize it's a huge how big state. That state is <laughs> yeah and that school was really hard i didn't realize that school was really hard I, I had to really work not to fail out of that school and while i was there i i i started playing with some guys and we we formed the band and we play at keg parties and like at the we once played at the pub the school pub you know so we did stuff like that but we were just basically covers yeah, 60s and 70s covers and just, you know, an excuse to drink and uh, pick up girls. Yeah, and it was it was great. It was great. And that was so, my first real band, I would say. Well, what was the name Sun of that band? 
uh it was a stupid name um it was called the d johnson quartet after somebody i don't know who d johnson is i don't even know if that was a person but it was a six-piece band that was called the quartet it was just stupid and um oh, oh the first name of the band was shot because we drank so much we were always shot <laughs> and then and then we turned it to g johnson quartet and then uh, everybody graduated and was over. Yeah. You must have did all your drinking early because I don't remember you as being a heavy drinker from since I known you. Yeah, no, I had uh, I I burned out early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the time I was twenty seven, I was uh, I was either going to join the twenty seven club or I was going to stop doing that stuff. And uh, thankfully, I was able to pull out of it. Yeah. So, so when you were in college, uh, did you move to Boston? Like, tell me about that whole story. How did you end up in Boston? So I went to college upstate New York and then I graduated and then I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was supposed to be a journalist and I had a job in the state and that's in that town as a journalist for a while. And then, you know, typically you would go from there, you would go go somewhere else and work for a newspaper and become a journalist. And I don't want to do that. I, I didn't want to be a journalist. I've been trying not to be a musician for the longest time because I thought oh, this is that's stupid. That's crazy. Nobody makes it. And it's a thankless thing. And you're just going to be broke your whole life and suffer and die. And and that's 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 it for being Sounds like most of my guests. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I you got to like, love right. it, right? You got to love yeah, it. You got to love exactly. it. Exactly. So after I got out of college, I didn't want to be a journalist. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I kind of had a feeling I wanted to play music, but I didn't know how to go about doing it. And a friend of mine moved to Boston and he was working at the Scotch and Sirloin in Boston and pouring drinks for the Celtics. This is when the Celtics were big, 1986, 87. And so I moved up here from New York and um, was just, he was working in a restaurant. I was working in a restaurant. We were all working in restaurants, me and a couple other guys. And I was trying to figure out how am I going to do this? And I lasted about six months and it, it didn't go well. And uh, I moved back to New York. I, I just you did. Yeah. I moved back to New York and um, stayed home for a year. And worked, you know, doing landscaping and, you know, construction type jobs. And then I came, I saved my money and I came back and I tried it again. I bought a car and uh, I, I came back to Boston in uh, 87. And when I came back the second time, I was like, I'm not going to work in restaurants. I'm not going to get a job. I'm just going to play music and I'm going to sink or swim doing it. And I bought one of those little street amps and I started playing in the subway. And that's what I did. And I was scared shitless. I had, I'd never played in front of people like that in my life. It was like the first time I started playing in front of people. It was like trial by fire. I just went down to government center with an acoustic guitar and started playing Rocky Raccoon and, and whatever I knew the, all the words to, which words that many songs. And, um, I was I was just a mess and uh I, I figured it out. I figured it out. I remember the first time somebody gave me some old guy 
you know, probably blue collar guys stood there watching me play for a long time. And like, I don't know what was going on in his head. Was he skeptical of who the hell is this kid or whatever? But I was just playing away. And, and at the end of it, after a while, he, he was getting on the train. He came over to the guitar case, threw some money down and got on the train. I never saw him again, but he gave me 20 bucks. Wow. And I was like, wow, okay. All right, maybe I'm on to something. Because prior to that, I was getting nothing. And I was getting pennies. And people were just ignoring me. And this guy gave me a little, in, in, you know, a little encouragement. And then I just was playing. I learned a bunch of songs. And I, I ended up, I was playing like all the time. And when it got warm out, I was playing in in government, uh, outside government center, Park Street Station, Harvard Square, outside Grendel's restaurant. I was down at the Christopher Columbus Park in the North End. I was in Faneuil Hall. Uh, I played everywhere. I, I got would... two. I got two questions for you. First one: When you, where did you live in the Boston area when you moved up here? Um, I lived the first time I lived in like this horrible dump of a place in Revere Beach. <laughs> oh wow! Guys, yeah. Three other guys. And we did a lot of drinking at that place. We always ran out of oil and we had to shave uh, to go to work. We'd, we'd like boil water and and shave with the hot water and then go to work. And we didn't even have any hot water. So I would, I would go to the YMCA and take a shower. It was like that. It was like that. And, and then this, when I came back, I was living on somebody's floor. I was sleeping on a friend's floor in the dining room under the dining room table for about three months until I found a place in Brookline down wow. the block from where he lived that was like $175 a month. Wow. Yeah. And this was 1987, 88. And, um, and I could, I could afford that. I could make that in a weekend playing on the street. So one weekend was for rent and the rest of the, the the money was for just whatever I was drugs and alcohol and whatever I needed to do. And uh the yeah. other the other part what the other question I had was that's really interesting all that because you struggled and that's good. That's yeah. yeah. Boston yeah. Cambridge has a long history of people playing in the subways, a lot of famous people. Yeah. What was it like? Did you have to get find your territory and market i mean how was that you have to compete with a lot of i think right around the same time you were there i know other people that were doing the same like patty griffin used to play in the subway all the time in harvard yeah. square and yep. a lot of people like that so did you how did you get your space to do that harvard square was, the subway in harvard square was really competitive everybody went down there and so i didn't go there because i'm like i don't want to fight to play in the subway. So I would stick to Boston. I would play in Park Street or Government Center. And um, and there were so many people out playing that you would, uh, you started to know everybody. You started to know people and you could like go up to them and say, um, are you gonna be here? You know, how long are you gonna play? And sometimes they would say, I'm, I've been here for two hours, man. I'm, I'm good for another hour and then you can have it. So I would stick around and then take that spot or somebody would be like they just got there they're not going anywhere for a while and you want to you don't want to stand around the subway you want to play so i would find sometimes i'd be in washington 
street station, which um, it was cool, but people didn't have that much money. Downtown Crossing? Downtown Crossing, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, that's. Did you robbed. know? I got robbed in you downtown crossing. Okay. Yeah. Who robbed you? Um, bunch of kids. They uh there was a bunch of them. And they they waited till everybody left. And the train came, took everybody away, and then they walked by as a as a gang, and one of them grabbed, just scooped all the money up. It was like really fast. And I had uh this guitar. This Gibson Les Paul, which is worth a lot of money. And it's a beauty. Yeah, I know. This this is this was my only guitar, so I had to play this. And I put the guitar down and ran after them and grabbed the kid by the neck. And uh I immediately felt that this kid was really big. <laughs> He's bigger than me. And he just looked at me and he said, Do you that's a nice guitar? Do you want to lose that too? Ooh. And I just I just let it go but that wow. you know considering how much i played on the streets of boston i was only really uh robbed maybe twice and once was by a homeless guy that probably needed the money more than me and yeah. um and like he just you know it's easy for somebody to walk by and just grab money out of the case and keep walking and i can't get them you know i can't catch them you know Cause I got a guitar and all this other stuff, you know, so, you can't stop in the middle of a song. I mean, uh, you could, I know I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. Did you get but, to um, know a lot of other people that were doing the subways back then and the street stuff? Yeah. Are you still friends with anyone from back then that was doing that? Um, I haven't seen them in years cause I haven't been down in the subway for like 30 years, you know? Uh, no, I mean, were there people that you knew that started there that ended up in bands that you got to know over the years? Um, uh, Scott Damgard met me on the street and uh, said that when he met me um, and I told him what I was doing, he, he quit his job and started doing it. Like he was like, wow, like I showed him the way. Um, I remember Mary Lou Lord. Oh yeah, Mary Lou Lord did that for a long time. Yeah. 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 She was a regular. And she she would be down in Cambridge. She liked she liked Harvard Square. Harvard Square was was friendlier, you know. Boston was was tougher. But I kind of like Boston because uh I didn't want to I don't want to compete with all these hippies in Cambridge. I wanted to just go play and when I want, where I want. And so I would I was mostly down in Park Street Station and uh out out in the the Boston Commons. I played in the Boston Commons a bunch. That was fun. Um uh there was a guy named Flathead that was really good. He played in Harvard Square and he had like a huge sound system and he would just jam for hours. He was a really good guitar player, played acoustic. Um I'm trying to remember people. Um yeah, I can't. Re I can't remember. It's okay. Um, yeah. Now the peasants were the Velcro peasants. Yeah, we started in ninety in 1988, 87, 88, right around there. Was that your first band in Boston? Yes. So Velcro you've been peasants. a peasant for a long time, Pete. 
my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. uh, I think I saw a video. I did a little, I was watching some old stuff that I'd seen before. And um, you played this thing on Newberry Street. Wait, actually, that was when you were the peasants. Oh, there yeah. was a, uh, there was a Boston. <laughs> you posted a song called Boston. And, and I like how you wrote. Uh, I can't remember who played drums. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious because uh, so, you have you did switch. You had yeah. a lot of different people in the band. Oh, Tell yeah. me about the early days and how you got started with the band and who the originals were. And be, up until the pet, you changed the name to the peasants because oh. all the rage was a Velcro Velcro, Velcro peasants. Yeah. So in 88, it was um, I, I was just going around to open mics. I was playing in the subway and I was going around to open mics and I would write some songs and I'd go and I'd play them. And I was trying to meet other musicians and see if I could do something. And I was down at, uh, um, what's that that bar we, we met at a couple of weeks ago? It used to be called something. Harper's Ferry. Harper's Ferry. I was at Harper's yeah. Ferry. It was like a Wednesday night. And there used to be a lot of blues jams in Boston. There was tons of blues in Boston. Yeah, and I all remember. Those guys. And Rick Russell was was running his open mic blues jam and Rick was this big fat guy glasses and he was a good really good blues guitar player and um so I went in there I wasn't really a blues guitar player but I could fake it and um I went up on stage I was put up on stage with this this uh chain smoking saxophone player Bobby Starker and I, I never met him I didn't know him at all and um we just ended up on on stage together. Like they're like, are you and you go up there and play? And so I didn't really know any blues songs. And so me and Bobby looked at each other. We were both like rock and roll guys. And I said, Do you know Tush by ZZ Top? And he said, Yeah, sure, we can play that. So we played Tush. And we would that was our version of a blues song. And it was close yeah, enough. It's blues. But it's, these guys are kind of purists and that's not really what they wanted to hear. And so pretty much after that song, we got the, we got the boot and um, I grabbed Bobby and said, let's, let's go get a case of beer and hang out and, and talk. And cause I liked the way he played. And we went back to my place and we were just drinking and talking and, and exchanging songs and ideas. And we decided to form a band and cause we were like-minded. We both liked a lot of the same, you know, the Ramones and the replacements. And uh, we came out of, you know, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. And so we, we, we decided to form a band. He was a songwriter. He was a really funny songwriter. He's really good. And uh, he played saxophone like Bobby Keys from the Rolling Stones. That was like his Maroma. And he yeah. learned how to play saxophone, listening to like Aerosmith records and copping the riffs. So he, he could, he also could play by ear. He could play anything he wanted. So me and Bobby, formed the Velcro peasants. We wanted to be the peasants, but there was another band in Boston that was already the peasants. And they came to our first gig and showed us their, their copyright. And I was like, all right, I guess we can't be the peasants. So we'll be the Velcro peasants. And um, I don't know, you know, that it meant nothing to us. And we just said, all right, we'll just put Velcro. We'll just attach Velcro to the peasants and that'll be our, our band name. And then we found we did auditions and we found Cliff Goodman on the drums. He was, he, he was in from Swampscott, but he worked in Boston. He was like working for 
one of those financial companies, big financial companies. And then this, this other kid that was like a professional yuppie type guy who played bass and he was a really good bass player. And that was Wayne Johnson. And so Cliff Goodman, Wayne Johnson, me and Bobby formed the Velcro peasants. And, and you kept yeah. that name for a few years. You put the all the rage. Do you remember recording all the rage and where you recorded it? Because I didn't I didn't see the info on that, but what... yeah, that was that was downtown. That was in um it was uh, a guy that had a studio, he was really good engineer, but he was he wasn't like a rock and roll engineer. And he was wanted me to play really clean and really which was probably good because that record was very clean, no distortion, and very, very stark, you know, very angry, <laughs> all the rage, very, very angry. And uh, that record, so we did a 10 song uh, in some some uh, um, studio in South Boston. I don't even remember with who or what. Um, and then And then we did, and then Bobby quit the peasants and it was just me wayne and and cliff and because i was i was a i was kind of a mess i was drinking a lot and i was hard to be around sometimes i'll admit that and uh and so bobby's like i i can't take this i'm out of here and uh and so me wayne and cliff went in the studio and recorded that and that record all the rage was done an early, I was early sober. I was like, I just quit drinking. And we did that record. So I quit drinking in 89 and we did that record in 90. And um, so that, that, that record was like somebody really stark raving sober, like not drinking, but definitely not happy. And that's what all the rage is. That's why I called it all the rage. Cause I was just angry all the time. I, I figured out that I met you around nine, you know, right around the time out on the street came out. That's 97. when I met. Yeah. So you, there was a little time in between there. What what did you do during that time before that? So, you... yeah. So I, I was. Um, Wayne quit and then Peter Downing came in and uh, uh, Pete was a really good bass player. And uh, so me, Wayne and Cliff. Uh, were the Velcro peasants, and then Bobby came back, you know, and so it was a lot of like floating around, and and so we had a four piece for a couple of years, and we were playing a lot. We were playing all over the place, and we were playing like all night in some clubs where you could play all night, you play some covers, and you actually get paid. And so we were doing that, and we were playing down in the the combat zone at a place called Zoots. That was um, every month we were there, and that was a that was a fun place to play, and we did we did a record. We it, it, we just never put it out. It was uh it was like 15, 16 songs, live to two track. It was just basically us playing live in the studio, and we we just recorded everything we knew, and it was like 15, 16 songs, but we never put it out. Yeah, and then yeah. that was it. 92 maybe and we went in the studio in 93 did a couple of did three songs and 94 we did a song and then like around town in different little studios and then 
me and Bobby left again. And then me and Pete got into a fight and broke up. And, <laughs> and, and that was, we were playing at Toad in 94, like February Cambridge, 1994 in Cambridge. Yeah. And, um, I went up to the bar in between the sets or whatever, and my arms were killing me. And I told the guy at the bar, I said, man, my arms are killing me. And, and he said, uh-oh, you got tendonitis. And it happens to a lot of guitar players that, that like strain their arms. And I was moving furniture and I did carpet installation. I'd done all these horrible, you know, physical labor jobs that I probably shouldn't have done because I'm not that big a guy. I mean, I weighed 130 pounds soaking wet in high school. I've just never been a big guy. And I'm doing all these very physically demanding jobs. And I, I've screwed up my shoulders. And once I screwed up my shoulders, the next thing that happened was, as I was playing guitar, my shoulders were now weak. My arms were trying to make up for it. And I wow. got bad tendonitis. It's just, I got, I couldn't. And that night, the guy at Toad said, if you don't stop playing guitar, you're going to end up like this. You're going to be like, you won't be able to do anything, you know? And so I stopped and we, we broke up anyway. that night, me and Pete had a big fight. We broke up the band and I, I got the death sentence with the tendonitis and I didn't pick up a guitar for two years. And I That's went, what happened. I had two operations on my shoulders. I still have the scars. So I had, they they like put my shoulder my shoulder was like hanging out of my arm and they put my shoulder back in um at, at Brigham and Women's there was an amazing surgeon chorus I think was his name he fixed both of my shoulders wow and it took six months for each shoulder and I can't throw a ball anymore because my sh I can't it, my arm doesn't go back that far but it's okay because I can play guitar and I don't care and you so play that, it well. <laughs> so it took two years, man. Two years. And, uh, it, yeah. When I met you, uh, you had put out the On the Street album. Steve Einstein. Hart, that's when Steve Hart came around. He, he's he been with you for a he, You and him have played together a lot. Several bass players. And I saw Frankie Butkus's name. So did you record that at New Alliance? Yes. Boston with Frankie. Well, we, we recorded three songs at New Alliance. And that later ended up on out on the street. So we we recorded three songs with Frankie in like '93, maybe, and then another song. Um, what was that? We recorded at um, Zippa Records, which was um, Pete Weiss. Yeah, Pete. And so we did we did uh, that there, and then when we went back in the studio in '97. Um, we just took those four songs and put them on the record. Oh, they were older songs. Okay, I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. They were from like pre-operation time. And then a bunch of new ones that I recorded with Steve Hart on drums and Billy Close yeah. on bass. Billy I Close, yeah. I saw that version of the band a million times because yeah. you guys were playing a ton of shows around. Yes. I had just moved back to Boston around that time. And I remember probably right up until the Welcome to My Country record, um, yes. you guys were really, really busy playing all the time. Yeah. You guys were a great three-piece band. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. 
Um, so I wanted to ask you about the cover for Welcome to My Country. I put that in my notes because it's a very yeah. interesting cover. What made you choose that for a cover? And and what was your what were you thinking when you picked that for a cover? Um, so I was mad about the Iraq war. And I was I was disgusted with like just uh the vapid shallowness of the United States, basically. And like growing up here and everybody's watching TV and you know, everybody's it just felt like it's everybody. I know it's not everybody, but just the invasion of Iraq and the 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 just dumbed down culture. Uh, TV watching culture of the United States and and the Western world, I guess. And I was just a malcontent. I was just angry about it. And I've always kind of been that way. And um, and I needed a uh, cover art for this record that had songs about it, like mall cows and uh, going to going out the window and songs like uh, just songs like that. Bobby's down south and one that comes to mind is let me out let me out is a song about jerry springer and people beating each other up on television and just vapid stupid everything bad about the united states you know of our culture just this stupid so so i asked um uh a local artist um who um, I can't remember her name now. She um, she was she was around at the time, and I said, "Do you have anything?" I described the record to her, like it's kind of anti-American, you know. It's kind of about the vapidness of our society, and she immediately just pointed to this painting she did of the Statue of Liberty, basically allude statue of <laughs> and she said that and i said really and right away it was it was perfect and she said yeah you can use that I'm like right i can use it she goes, yeah yeah you can use that and controversy and controversy works too you know and i know exactly what you're talking about that was a crazy time it was like post you know uh 9-11 and like Bush weapons oh, of mass destruction. The Bush era people yeah. have forgotten how bad that was. We're invading Iraq. <laughs> it was and, a bad was, time. Yeah, it was just crazy, stupid, and uh, so yeah, so that's it. So that was it, and it was also kind of a revolutionary statement because everybody was so gung ho, America. Yeah, we're gonna kill the terrorists. What terrorists? You know, like, where? In, in Iraq, you know, Iraq yeah. didn't do anything. And it was horrible, man. Was I'm just, with you 100% on that. That was ridiculous. Yeah, because yeah, that record did get you a lot of attention. Do you feel like that's when the band really started peaking around that time? Yeah, I think, well, I think 97, 98, 99, when we were, when me, Billy, and Steve were playing, that was my favorite version of the peasants, I guess. Yeah. And um and those guys are on Welcome to My Country too. They're on all yeah. all three. They're on the yeah. three, the triumvirate is uh out on the street, welcome, and 
Love Your Enemy. Love Your Enemy, which came out a few years after that, right? 2005. Yeah. Which was also like a reaction to the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and just what was going on in the United States, cops shooting black kids at the side of, on the side of the road and just all that kind of stuff. Um, did, did you start playing with, you started playing with some other people too after that, didn't you? Yeah. 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 Um, it, it's, it's hard to keep a band together when um, people want to do other things and they don't want to tour anymore. Like we toured a lot. And in the late nineties and I pretty much burnt out Steve and Billy. They didn't want to do it. It's just, it's hard to do. And we were older, you know, we were in our thirties and we were touring in a van sleeping on the floor. You know, it's, it's, nobody wants to do that. So I had to like play with anybody that I could rope into going on the road with me because we're not going to make any money. And sometimes you play into the bartender, the waitress and one homeless guy you know so you know it's hard to do that so i i play with a lot of different guys and um and steve was playing in other bands so he wasn't even available so i'd have enough i'd have phil derbogosian playing the drums and i'd have chris hull playing bass or dave lee playing bass or um you know all kinds i've of seen things. yeah i've, I've seen had like thousands of of and at that around this time too, me and Ray started Beefy DC. I was going to get to that before I get to that. I just want to yeah. talk to you for a minute about the Big Sunny Day album. Oh, actually, when when did Big Sunny Day come out? Like ten years after all this. So yeah, it was you, just, yeah, you worked with Paul Coldery on that one, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, John Cohan. Do you know John Cohan? Yes. He, um, I was like, who do I get to mix this thing? Cause I didn't want it to be just another local yokel record with a mediocre mix. It was a really good album. We, we recorded it in two really good studios. Um, one with Milt in Brookline and then, uh, with, um, Dave, Dave Minahan and Dave, um, Westner. Westner, yeah. Dave Westner actually recorded it and he did a phenomenal job. And so Willie Mammoth was just, it's a great studio to record. They've got everything you need. So we did it there. And then I wanted to get it mixed by somebody who knew what they were doing. So Cohan said, why don't you call Coldery? I'm like, I don't know Paul Coldery. He's like, just call him. If he likes the record, he'll do it. So I sent him the record. I called him. I sent him the record and he said, I like it. I'll, I'll, I'll mix it. I'm like, what do I, how do I pay you? And he goes, and we figured it out. It wasn't that hard, you know? And, yeah. uh, cause Coldery is like rock star material. Love and Paul Coldery. Yeah. He did a hell of a job and that record. I'm glad we made it. It's a different kind of thing. It's, it's mellower in a lot of ways, um, than the peasant stuff, but I had Steve on the drums and I had Paul. Um, so Billy Close moved to California and he was like out in California. And so I knew Paul um, Kachansky from the Swing and Stakes. We used to play with them way back. 
And Paul's a great bass player. And Excellent he, bass player. Yeah. And he played on Out on the Street before Billy Close. Like, Billy Close was just learning how to play bass. He's a guitar player. He yeah, from the freeze. Yeah. Yeah. And so Billy was, like, learning how to play the bass, but wasn't quite confident with some of the songs. Some of the songs were pretty involved. So Paul Kachansky played on the more involved songs on Out on the Street. So he's kind of a... Also, there's like a million guys that have been in the peasants over the years. I, I've got like no. 30 bass players <laughs> and 15 drummers, but the main guys are, you know, Billy Close, Steve Hart, uh, Billy O'Malley, Ted Kondo played one tour with us. It was like a who's who of uh, you play with Billy O'Malley. Why didn't I remember that? That wow. we played, well, we played, uh, we did a tour in the spring of 98 it was probably the most extensive tour we ever did we did 34 shows in like 32 wow days. i think yeah. i remember that billy o'malley moved after that he moved to to vegas yeah because he's a he was really good oh he's uh, amazing seika he was in seika seika yes yeah seika seika strip yep Sake yeah. a strip mine. Um, yeah. Okay, I was going to bring up uh, before we. We'll we have a save, lot of questions. Yeah, we'll we'll save your newer tunes for later. But Beefy DC, of course, was on my list. I saw Beefy DC, and they you guys had quite a buzz at yeah. one time. And having seen you guys and being an enormous fan of the Bond Scott era, which a lot yeah. of your stuff was based on, I was extremely oh. impressed. Ray Needs, who's no longer with us, Bill. Yeah. Yep. Heifer, Heifer Williams. Like, is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, no, that that's the that's a joke. Um, so all the names oh. are fake names. Oh, so, I thought that was his real name. No, <laughs> no. So that's Heifer Williams. So all the names are are created out of. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Basically. So I'm a hundred percent Angus Beef. Ray was Beefy DC. Ray Ray was Beefy Scott instead of Bon Scott. Um. And Heifer Williams was whoever the bass player was probably like something Williams. And then the, the drummer was Phil Dergo, the drummer. Yeah. And his name was Phil Cud because cows. <laughs> and then well, Bill was um, Milcom Young <laughs> as opposed to Malcolm. So he's again, he's a cow. He's a milking cow. I, I don't know. And it was Ray's brainchild. It was Ray's brilliant idea. He wanted to have, he always wanted to have a Bon Scott era ACDC cover band, tribute band with five really fat guys and call it beefy DC. That was his idea. And he couldn't find five fat guys. So we decided, well, he's fat enough for all of us because he weighed like oh yeah, 300 and 50 pounds like i think he weighed 375 at some point so so ray was beefy dc and he was probably the greatest front man i've ever played with but for the for the people out there listening uh or watching you've got to go on youtube and find the beefy dc harvard square clip it's fantastic yes. it's yeah. really good beefy and, DC. Uh, and a lot of people they so whoever was doing the camera work for that was you know, zooming on the people's faces. And a lot of them had the greatest expressions on their face. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, but you won them over, man. You yeah. you won the crowd over and it was a big crowd. And uh, 
I remember seeing you guys in a few clubs and stuff, you know, and you yeah. guys were just fan. I'm a huge Bon Scott fan, so I really dug that. Uh-huh. Yeah, BVDC was was way fun. It was just it started out as a joke and it just went on for like six, seven years. Yeah. And we you, I made more money playing with that band than I ever did with the peasants. You know, we would show up at O'Brien's and sell the place out and make a thousand bucks. And like, that's unheard of in, in the Boston music world on, I mean, coming from where we were coming from at know? that time. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. hundred, You know? Yeah. Um, so I know you're playing with Dave Hall now, who's like an amazing musician. He's played with yes. Buddy Miles, Joe Cocker, P. Druge, Charlie Farron, he was in two bands with him. I saw him once with James Montgomery. Yep. Uh, I've seen him with John Butcher. I've seen him with a lot of people. And he's also filled in for Tom Hamilton whenever Aerosmith needed a bass player. Yes. So you're playing with someone who's like you, that's a lifelong musician. That must be pretty yep. thrilling. What kind of things are you guys doing together? We're doing a bunch of Dave's songs. Dave made a record in uh, 2012 or so called Pay Some Attention or Soul in Motion. I forget the name of the record, but we play a bunch of songs from that record. That's a great record. And there's a video on online called Pay Some Attention. Dave Hall, Pay Some Attention. You can hear the song, see the video. It's a really good video. And, and then we play a bunch of covers that he likes from his era. So we played everything from his from his era of music like he he grew, came up in the 60s with Jimi hendrix buddy miles aerosmith all those bands so we play Jimi hendrix we play buddy miles we play david bowie we play some warren zevon because he really likes one we all he played with warren. nugent too didn't he dave played with ted nugent he, <laughs> he, he i think he recorded with ted nugent he went in the studio with ted yeah. ted Dave's a phenomenal bass player. So Dave's recorded. He he, he toured with uh, Joe Cocker, too. That's right. I left him off yeah. my list, I think. Yeah, yeah. Joe Cocker, Pete Droge, Aerosmith. He was in the first Joe Perry project. Dave and, and Joe Perry oh, yeah. started Joe yep. Perry project. Dave was the other. They played one of Dave's songs, Buzz Buzz. It's on a Joe Perry record. So, yeah. You, you know, when Dave's. I... World when class. I when I was in college radio, I remember in 1983, I interviewed Dave and Charlie and They had a band called The Enemy, and I interviewed that those guys. Wow! Before Fahrenheit, and then they yeah. became Fahrenheit. But uh, Dave is a great guy. So, oh, yeah. so you've also put some new stuff out. The peasants have put some new stuff out recently too, right? Last year, but, yeah. Last, uh, last. Actually, this year, I, I wrote a bunch of songs and put a couple of them out. I just put them out on Bandcamp because um, it, it, it's just too hard. to. I wasn't going to make a CD or do that whole thing. So, yeah, I've got three songs on Bandcamp that are new. One uh, one of the most is is uh, Bend Over and Take It Like a Man. Yeah, I listened to that. <laughs> And the flu, well, I listened to the flu. The flu, yeah. yep. And then, uh, and you still get Steve Hart playing with you on those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he plays on uh, "Bend Over and Take It Like a Man." He kills it. And then the other two um, were uh, Mike Peel on 
on drums. Oh, he's great. Yeah. And um Mike's been on the show. He's he's an awesome drummer. Reverse. Yeah, yeah. Reverse. Yeah. Steve Steve's like um very a very rock slash metal kind of guy. He can play anything. And he's he's really a, he's an aggressive drummer. And for those other two tunes, I I needed somebody that was mellower. You know, I can't believe I'm saying that about the peasants, but and Peel Peel was in the studio <laughs> playing. I was telling him I want you to play real quiet, and he, and he said, you know, people are going to listen to this song, and they're going to go, wow, when did the peasants get so? I know this isn't politically correct to say, but when did the peasants get so gay? <laughs> Because he was playing really, really quiet. And he was using brushes. And wait a minute. Did he play bend over and take it like a man? Because, you know, that's oh, kind of gay. Yeah, that's Steve Hart. 100%. Yeah. Okay. No, that's definitely Steve. And we're joking around when we, you know, we, 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 we're gay. You know, we love yeah, gay. We're, we are. We're all gay. Yeah. That's right. We're happy about it. Um, before I let you go, what I mean, I saw you in the false positives. Is that are yeah. you in that band permanently, or are you filling in? Or I'm in there for now, and like I was, you know, since the peasants aren't really doing anything right now, I just started playing. Somebody asked me to play a show, and and then Dave saw was on that bill, and he asked me to play with him, and I like Dave. He's a sweetheart, and he's he's he writes good songs, so. I still want to do my own thing, but I like playing guitar. I like playing lead guitar. And Dave, he he writes these songs. He's like, just play whatever you want. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, just play whatever you want. Whatever you play, it's going to be good. Just play. So I love that. And then the same thing with Dave Hull. I, I love Dave, and it's it's a blast playing with him and Steve. They're just a phenomenal rhythm section. So Dave's the same way. He's like, just, all right, just play, you know, just play guitar. And I'm just loving doing this. You know, it's nice to just play guitar and not have to be the leader of the band and the singer songwriter and all that. It's nice to just play guitar. Cause that's really what I started out doing. You know, I love writing too and singing, but it's nice to play guitar. So I'm really liking playing with Dave, Dave Harrison, Dave Hull. If your name is Dave, I'll play. I'll play guitar for you. Well, maybe Minahan and you can get together and do some since you guys oh. are buddies. We love Minahan. So, oh yeah, I love Minahan too. <laughs> I was just in Woolly Mammoth with uh, with this um, phenomenal keyboard player, Allison Lisance. And she had a bunch of songs and she had one song that was, she's like a jazz blues. She's a blues piano player. She can play anything. And she was in girls night out. Remember girls. Oh night yeah. Out? Yeah. Yeah. She was the key. She's the keyboard player of that band. And she's in a, she has a band called love dogs that are still around. And she asked me to play on her record, which I was like, wow, you know, she's a Berkeley jazz person. I'm not that. And, but she said, I want you, I want what you do on this record so i went in and again she said just play what what you want and minahan was on that session and he i never recorded with dave minahan he's phenomenal he's incredible he produced he produces everything he just he just has a sense of all right we're gonna do this we're gonna do that and he, he gives you the palette 
so okay let's 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 make the song and he did that with Allison you know he basically directed us it, without us even asking him to and it came out really good I, I haven't heard the final product yet but so yeah Minahan's great yeah you two I can see you two working together that's a that's yeah. a that's a match that works we sure. played once together we played in 97 at at TT TT the Bears and it was Dave Minahan and his loyal uh subjects or loyal whatever knights oh Dave Minahan Sir Dave Minahan and his loyal knights it was a one one off we were raising money for Stephen Fredette Stephen Fredette was having some health issues I almost and think I was at that show. You probably it was. It was really a, familiar. There was a bunch of Boston bands. We were all playing. It was a benefit show for Steven. Dad. At the, at the TTs. I think there's video of it. And I played with Dave. It, it was, was only 27 years ago. You know, we yeah, not too long ago. Yeah. And me and Dave were playing guitar. Billy Close was on the bass. And Kevin Shirtliff from Scissorfight was on the drums it was a really good he uh, played lineup. with dave and the star darts too so those two guys had history yeah yeah the star darts, right. yeah 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 hey pete it's great talking i knew i would it was a great you know we just talked for an hour man and huh? i knew i knew that would happen because huh? i like you and i like i wanted to hear your history i didn't ever knew about much about your long island thing and stuff and i wanted to ask you about that and i hope you keep making music man thank you brother Thank you so much. Thanks and, for having uh, me on here. I'm sure I'll run into you in one of the clubs somewhere. Sometime. Yeah, you will. <laughs> Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you for asking me. My pleasure, man. All right, man. All right. How about that, huh? That was fun. Pete Cassani. Love that guy. You know, I'll tell you something. I know for a fact that he is a well-respected musician. He's well-respected, what I'm trying to say, by his peers for being a solid, dedicated, real musician, songwriter, performer. Pete can do it all, man. I mean, what he went through to get, just to play and some of the stories he told were just fantastic. I love it. I love that he decided that he was going to be a musician no matter what. And he did it. And I love people like that. And that's why I do this show, because I love these kind of people. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. All right. So if you want to reach out to me, you can anytime at twistedrico at gmail.com. We have an Instagram, Facebook, Threads, YouTube page where you can actually watch the Zoom interview that I did with Pete. There's also a TikTok page at Twisted Rico where you can watch clips from the show. We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Twisted Rico, where for as little as $1 a month, one stinking dollar a month, you can support the show. That's Twisted It's patreon.com forward slash twisted rico all right that's going to do it this time folks till the next time we say goodbye this is blowing smoke with twisted rico i'm your host steve ricardo keep the rock and roll alive